Nadia, you started as a producer in 2001? Yes, um, I, on TV actually in London. So I'd been working in the music industry and uh, Universal Records in marketing promotion and I decided I wanted to change. So I went into television and was working on entertainment shows, um, predominantly doing the music side of things. Um, was working for a lot of bigger, the entertainment companies in, in London, such as Channel 4, BBC, and uh, yeah, that's really how I got into producing, I, you know, starting in television, starting in entertainment. So was it your plan to continue to do that and come to LA or did you have sort of another path? Yeah, no, what actually happened before I got a, a job in the music industry, I'd intended to go to drama school. I got offered this job for Universal Records, which was a great opportunity. Um, from there went into television, but I didn't love working in television. Um, I don't know, it's just, there's really long hours, there's a re there was a real hierarchy and, you know, I was kind of starting closer to the bottom and, you know, had all these great ideas and were just finding that I wasn't going to, wasn't getting very far. Um, and also being on set, it kind of brought me back to my love of, you know, I wanted to get back into acting and I wanted to get back to being in front of the camera. Um, so it was at that point I decided to stop working in television and go back and do formal training as an actor and uh, yeah that was about uh, 2004 so I worked for, in television for a few years producing left and, and went back and followed my true passion <laughs> which is acting. When did you start writing your own content? When did I start writing my own content? So when I was working in television as I was saying I had all these wonderful ideas what I thought were wonderful ideas at the time so I began writing TV pitches um, to pitch for other entertainment shows and uh, I'd always written like I'd always been very creative in school I'd written novels about plane crashes over Sweden for, for why don't ask me why I have no idea but that was one of the books that I wrote in school um, but it was really when I moved to LA um, and was pitching to a lot of television companies and finding that because I didn't have an established background, you know, track record in the US for producing, I wasn't really getting in any doors or I was getting in any doors, but, you know, I wasn't being given the opportunity to produce my own my own things. So I had this idea for a film, for this, this film, for The Love of George, and it was never my intention to write it, you know, for me to write it, I was going to have somebody else write it, but um, I got the first draft and it wasn't exactly how I wanted it, so she did it again. <laughs> still wasn't exactly how I wanted it so it was at that point I thought well no one know you know I know this story I know what I want to get across I will write it with her so so that's what happened and that was really my first this is my first screenplay so that was the first one that was the first I think that was back in probably 2013 started writing the screenplay for For the Love of George and and it kind of grew from there really. So you approached uh, a screenwriter for hire, is that how it worked? No, it wasn't a screenwriter for hire, it was a friend of mine whom we'd been pitching shows together, TV shows. Um, she was a bit more on the writing side and I was a bit more of a producer, I had, had ideas but I didn't really want to spend hours and days on end and months on end, you know, hiding away writing because I'm more of a doer, I like to see results quicker. Um, so I had, you know, I told her my idea, it was, it was a story outline I had for this film and uh, and she went away and wrote it and like I said because it wasn't exactly how I wanted it but it was someone that that I knew pretty well it wasn't someone you know I randomly approached we've been working together on other stuff 
Um, so she had a rough idea of what I wanted, but it wasn't exactly how I wanted it, so. So was it like 90 pages? The first, pages. the first, the first draft. Okay. Uh -huh. um, you know, actually, we started with a thirteen-page pitch, and it kind of grew from there. And um, at the time of when I first began, you know, with the idea for this film, I wasn't sure if it was going to be a short or a feature. Um, so we kind of had this rough outline, but didn't know exactly what the story would be. Um, and then, yeah, I think the first draft it was probably about ninety pages. It ended up being one hundred and ten or something. You know, it just grew and the story changed so much. I think we began writing it in 2013 and actually didn't finish, didn't finish it. I mean, I finished it basically whilst we were shooting. I was still changing scenes during our actual shoot because certain things weren't working or logistically we couldn't do something that I'd written into the script. So we had to change the whole scene. And uh, even actually after we finished shooting, we had a couple of uh, extra shooting days and um, filmed a couple of other scenes. So I actually didn't finish writing the script till after I'd finished writing the film, uh, shooting the film. So yeah, it was a long process. Were these alternate endings or you just had some extra sort of like character background? Yeah, no, they weren't alternative endings. It was more, um, you know, there were a couple of things in the in the film that really worked well, and there were a couple of things that when I actually saw the finished project, I wasn't so so sure that they really fit in. So um, there was a couple of things within the film that I felt were working really well. So I wanted to go and write a couple of extra scenes. One of them is with uh, the Luke character played by Sean Sipos. Um, he was coming across really well, and I felt um, there were a couple of things that needed smoothing out a little bit in the story. So I went afterwards and wrote a couple of extra scenes and we went and filmed them after the film was, was finished, basically. So yeah, so it, it was a long, probably, yeah, three years, three and a half years <laughs> from start to finish with the script. If we can go back to 2001 for a little bit, when you were entering television and, and you said you had worked also at a, a record, record company. company yeah. yeah. Um, what were your ambitions and expectations at that time? You know, everybody, you'd, you'd come from uh, the UK and you'd come to the States. And what were your ambitions? Um, well, I actually, I didn't come to the States till 2006. So in 2001 was when I began working as a producer in television in London. Um, I moved to the US actually in, in 2006 and I started off in New York and I went, I'd already trained as an actor in London. But uh, I went to New York to train in the Meisner techniques. I spent two years there. And then while I was there, I was auditioning for, I was doing a lot of voiceover. Obviously being British was something slightly unique in New York. So I was doing a lot of voiceover, a lot of industrials, um, training and doing, mainly concentrating on the acting whilst I was there. And it wasn't really until I moved to Los Angeles at the end of 2008. Um, you know, I was auditioning a little bit, but. I, I like to create and I like to be proactive and doing something. So I really didn't want to be sitting around waiting for auditions, waiting for the phone to ring. You know, I had this past where I, you know, I'd created, I had experience as a producer um, in marketing, you know, and I, I wanted to basically put it all together and, and create my own stuff. So I set up my production company, Fluffy Cat Productions, <laughs> and, um, and yeah, and started really kind of creating television alongside, you know, auditioning and doing some some acting work whilst I was in LA. And uh, really that, that was my intent. I wanted to be able to create, produce, do everything, basically be my own boss. Having worked in television in 2001, I didn't like working for other people and not being able to, 
you know, kind of create and, and share and have these ideas and see them come to life and, you know, be further down the scale. It was a big kind of corporation, you know, like working for a big network and um, I just didn't have the chance there to really grow and, and create as I wanted to. Regarding expectations, did you feel things would move faster? You said that you like to yeah. see results quicker, which I get. Uh, was that something that was sort of an eye opener for you? Yeah, I mean, definitely when I first moved to LA, I kind of was a little bit frustrated. I mean, everyone says it takes a year to settle. You know, you have to make the relationships. You, you make relationships with agents and managers and other actors and other producers and people in the industry. Um, but in LA, everyone's doing their own thing, you know, and it was really, um, that's what I wanted to do with this film initially. I wanted to find someone to produce it, somebody to write it, but no one is going to be as passionate about your own project as you are, which is why ultimately I decided to just produce it myself, write it myself, and uh, basically just take charge of it. And I'm so glad that I did that, you know, because it's now launching me for the future to produce and, and you know, direct, write other other features, other TV content through my own company. And um, so I'm, I'm really quite grateful that nobody wanted to produce my project. You know, it did me a favour. But yeah, it took... Uh, it took a while and it was really, when I got to the stage, I'm like, this is just taking too long. Um, if I want to get this done, I need to do it myself. That's a great way to look at it. Something yeah. that would maybe have sent most people packing is actually something that you're thankful for and that it's, yeah. it's taught you how to do all these different things. So that's, that's yeah. a good way. It is, you... It's funny. You really only see things looking back. Like at the time, it's frustrating. You know, I can't get my film made. Everything's taking so long. I can't find anyone to work with. And it's only looking back now. I'm like thankful for that, you know. But you don't always see these things at the time. You think, oh, it's so hard here. And, you know, why can't I get my film made? And why is everyone, you know, so flaky that, that wants, says they want to work with me and then they all disappear? But, you know, I guess it's kind of a blessing, really. Uh, yeah, that it is definitely an eye-opener yeah. in L.A. Once yeah. <laughs> Going back to the writing process yeah. with your, your friend and co-writer. Yeah. So once you saw this, I think you said it was 110 pages, uh, the first draft that she had. How did you go back in and whether it was interject your own voice into it or what? Did you work together at the same time or did you send drafts to each other? No, we would, um, my writing partner was in England and I was in LA at the time. So we would talk about the storyline and about the characters. And uh, at that point she went off and, and, you know, did another draft. But it just, it wasn't for me, it wasn't real enough. It was, um, I think, because I'd lived in LA a lot more and she hadn't, you know, the obviously the whole story is based in LA. Well, it starts in London, but it ends up in LA. It just wasn't where where I wanted it to go. I didn't want it to be some kind of like slapstick kind of uh, cliched comedy. So we would talk a lot about the storyline on Skype. She would, you know, have another go. And then at, at that point, because I really knew what I wanted, um, had a very strong idea of what I wanted, we would basically spend sessions on Skype working. So we would, do, I would do a lot of the dialogue. We would talk a lot about the, the storyline and I would literally, um, we have this like walkie talkie app and I would be leaving her 15 minute messages overnight. I've had an idea about the script, <laughs> been thinking about the script with some new angle and, um, you know, would kind of to and throw and throw, throw ideas around and, um, and then she would do some of the kind of basic outline and then I would write scenes and she'd put dialogue down and then I'd go in and change it in the voices that I wanted to be heard. So, yeah, it was, um, we spent 
I actually think we worked better like that than in person because when we were in person, we'd spend too much time chatting and talking and thinking about it. And it's hard to actually write together at the same time. So it worked quite well working on Skype and having this set time because you're so focused on that and nothing else at that time. Interesting. And so how many drafts did you end up doing before you actually started to say, okay, let's start casting or let's look for uh, financing? You know, if you look at my computer, there are so many drafts. There's so many, but some of them, you know, they'd just be slight tweaks, so they'd save them. So a proper, you know, rewrite draft, I mean, it went through a lot. Um, the main, one of the main problems we had midway through writing the script is, you know, the story is, is loosely based around George Clooney being the perfect man. And this whole story began with an idea for, for me and my character coming to LA thinking she could be the next Mrs. Clooney because everyone was so you know, obsessed with, was he ever gonna get married? Was he gonna settle down? And he was the you know, perfect eternal bachelor. And that's how, my, that's how the concept started. So midway through the script, he got engaged. <laughs> And I'll never forget that. I was working in a, actually in a writing session in London at the time. And uh, someone texted me and said, by the way, George Clooney's just got engaged. And it didn't really register for a couple of days. I, we were like, no, no, he can't have, no, okay. And then we went back to our writing. And it wasn't until a couple of days later, I just suddenly had this bad feeling about everything. So I, I suddenly had this really bad feeling about the script and I'm not sure why. I'm like, oh yes. George Clooney's just kind of messed it up. So that was a real, a real, you know, oh, what do we do now? You know, do we make it, or do we, you know, predate it? Do we, like, how do we, how do we use this? And my writing partner said, well, maybe we should just shelve it for a few months and work on something else. I was like, no, there must be a way we've spent, you know, by that point, um, 2013, a year or so working on this, I'm not, shelving it basically so working that in was quite a big thing and it changed the storyline quite a lot so you know that was kind of the biggest the biggest challenge writing it how we would work that into a script and based on the story we already had because it changed the lead characters you know my journey quite a lot in and, and the whole storyline so um you know that that was a challenge but we got there and i think that was up until then there hadn't been that many drafts after that there were a lot more because a lot of things changed after that like we changed some of the supporting characters storylines as well to support the new storyline that poppy was going through so yeah there were quite a lot of drafts <laughs> to put it mildly well it presents a much bigger problem now yeah. for her to overcome so yeah, yeah it's that's in some ways i wonder if it's almost a blessing it would be have you thought about how it may have turned out, I mean, it actually was more beneficial. In yes, some and actually it was. I mean, um, that was something I actually said we, we had a premiere on last Monday and I was saying, you know, there were several drafts of this script, but luckily the one you're going to see tonight was the best one because <laughs> it, it actually changed the protagonist's story. It wasn't so much about her wanting to be George Clooney, you know, meet George Clooney and, and marry George Clooney. It was about her own journey and the fact it was never really about George Clooney. You know, it doesn't matter that he's getting married. It wasn't about him. It's about her finding her own strength and realizing she doesn't need any man anyway. And, you know, so it did. It changed. It made her a much stronger character than I think if he'd have been single at the end of it and she did or didn't get with him, whatever. So when you began writing, did you feel that it came naturally to you or was it something you felt you needed to look at certain screenwriting books or... 
Um, no, I didn't. I, you know, I actually did buy a screenwriting book, but I never read it. <laughs> it was one <laughs> of those things. My writing partner had had you know been on several courses and and had studied screenwriting, so she knew the knew the format a little more than I did. Um, but for me, no, I think I had just had such a strong idea of what I wanted and um, and the story and how it needed. And, and I knew things about arcs and how I had to hit this and, you know, was was very aware when I was writing it of how it would film and budgets and, you know, at what point it was it was lagging. And I actually put it through quite a lot of, um, you know, you put it through through script doctors and, and get feedback on it. And uh, it was really interesting, like some things that I was a bit nervous about, if they came back, then I would change it. Other things, I mean, everyone has an opinion and whoever you give a script to, they're going to, you know, it's, it's easy to pick scripts apart, you know, it's, and I would give them to, I would give the script to people that I knew that were going to be ultra critical because I don't want someone to tell me, oh, it's a great script for the sake of it, like give it to your hardest critics. And if they pick up on something that you're not sure about, then, you know, you know to change it. Um, so that's what I did. I gave it to a lot of people. I know a lot of writers, established writers, and I would give it to them. And <laughs> my writing partner would have a meltdown every time it came back because she would take it more personally. But I was just looking at it from a business side, making a good film. I don't care what you say about my writing. If something's not working, if this is, you know, if and, and it actually changed quite a lot with the characters. Like if some character was coming across a little less likable than another, we would go in and change that. Or, you know, if some characters needed a bit more backstory and they were a bit, you know, one I mentioned we would change that so um, yeah it, it was I think it, I just had a very strong idea of, of where I wanted it to go and uh, was just open to having input and, and just really wanted to make the best script possible so whatever that took really. Have you always been open to input? Because I think that's a great idea in terms of so many people they feel crushed at uh, with their first project and then they never want to do it again. Yeah no, I mean, I, I have what the thing with me, I, it, it's funny, I can't decide what I want to have for lunch today. <laughs> but when it comes to work, some things I just know that this is how I want to do it and nothing will, will waver against that. It was the same when I was in the edit process. You know, sometimes you just know things are working and you just know when they're not. And But if it's something I'm unsure about or I don't know about, then yeah, of course I want input from everyone. I mean, I think that's basically how I got through this film. I had, you know, a couple of great people, you know, looking at the script for me and um, a couple of producers helping me out with the some something I might not have known, you know, on the producing side. So, um, I mean, I'm always open. Sometimes I might still go with my own idea if I, if I have a very strong feeling about something. But yeah, no, I think that's the, that's the key to making a good film is collaboration, right? You don't want to do it all your way. You know, if there's good people around you with, with good input, then listen. At what point did you take it to a script doctor or, or script doctors? I don't know how many people you actually... Yeah, it, it, it wasn't actually a script doctor. It's, I'm trying to think. I think it's script coverage. So you put it through this service and they read it. They don't change anything or write anything for you, but they'll read it and give you feedback. So a lot of the studios will use it. You know, they'll put their scripts through and have people read them and give them marks and marks out for this. And is, is, is it funny? And how would you describe it? Um, I think I put it through two or three and it wasn't until I was really happy with it or not, not really happy with it we'd got as far as we could at that point and okay let's just see how it's how it's you know how it reads to somebody else. And so were there points where you were really surprised that either these different the coverage notes they really love something or they didn't love something? Um, 
There was no real surprises to me actually in it. There were things that I knew that we still needed to work on. Um, it's, it's always interesting though with, with a script, with an edit, with a film, anything like what appeals to different people. Like, you know, you watch a film with one audience and they laugh, the whole room seems to laugh at different things to what an audience will laugh at another night. And it's, you know, they don't know it. Like, how are they all laughing at completely different things? So, and it was the same, it was the same with the script. Like, people would pick up these things. I'd be like, well, that, that's not really funny, is it? <laughs> it wasn't meant to be funny, but great. If you think it's funny, then that's probably a good thing. And there would, you know, there would be other things that people would pick up that, I don't know, I just felt that, okay, that's their opinion. So it really depended on, you know, the kind of comments we got back as to how personally or, you know, how, whether I was going to take them and actually make a change from that. So when you were writing the film or even beforehand, did you watch a lot of romantic comedies? Um, I didn't really. I mean, I've always liked that kind of genre anyway. Um, funnily enough, the very first draft of this story was more of a dark comedy. It was a more of a comedy drama. Um, and I realised because of the subject matter, and that was again when you know I hadn't been involved in writing the first draft, it was kind of the direction she had taken it in. And that's when I realised this isn't, this isn't going to work for this subject matter. Like it's not really, it, it needs to be more fun and lighthearted. You know, there was uh, some very dark scenes in it that just wouldn't have worked. So I think me personally, I love rom-coms and I like comedies, but I would probably be more of inclined to to kind of go along that side as well, dramatic, and I knew we needed to make it more lighthearted, but because as a personal entertainment level, I'd watched a lot of rom-coms. Um, I mean, this isn't your traditional rom-com, it's more of like an indie, indie comedy. I mean, this was one of the things we did in the test screenings. We wanted to see what people were really, you know, what they thought of it as. Was it a rom-com? Was it a comedy? Was it a comedy drama? And it was pretty even, even keel. So, uh, you know, the, there is romance in it, but it's not your traditional rom-com. So I didn't really want to watch anything to try and compare and put this in the same category because it really doesn't fit quite there, I don't think. Where did you find the audience for the test screenings? Or these were friends or colleagues? No, um, for the we did the first test screening on the picture lock, and um, I actually hid downstairs in a downstairs room because you don't want the audience to know that I really wanted a true, honest feedback. So nobody knew me. They were friends of friends, but nobody knew me personally. So our editor ran it all, and um, you know we gave questionnaires and you know, which character, was there any character you didn't like? And um, is there any scene that bored you? And that kind of thing. Um, but for the, at this point, it wasn't for the, the script. The script was finished. It was for actually if we were going to change the edit or not. Um, so I think we had about 15. But, you know, additionally, I would send it out to directors and editors and other people to get feedback along the way as well. But for that particular test screening, I didn't know any of the audience. And I tried to make sure they weren't in entertainment as well. You know, it's better to get a, you know, and that also it was female, you know, more female than male, just to get kind of our target audience feedback. That's interesting. Why Why not in the entertainment industry? You felt they would be more critical or they would look at it from a yeah. formulaic? <laughs> you know, like we said at the very beginning of the screening, or he said, the color's not finished, the sound's not finished, you know, and then people would write down, oh, you need to fix the sound. <laughs> no, we need to fix the sound. We just want to know about the story. So that's why we kind of wanted to take it away from anyone that would be looking at technical stuff and you know, like, well, I would have done a better job if I'd have been directing, you know, those sure, kind of sure. people. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. why, ideally, I mean, we did end up with some, 
with some uh, entertainment people in there. We had a couple of male actors and they were writing all the comments about the male, the male actor in the film, you know, <laughs> how they should have done this and had more of this. So that's what I wanted to avoid. <laughs> sure, sure. When you began developing For the Love of George, did you know that you'd be writing yourself in the film or did you think you'd have another actress play your part of Poppy? No. Um, yes, I was writing it for me at the start. It was something, you know, as an actor, I had been doing a lot of pitching and, and pitching ideas for TV shows and I hadn't been doing much acting because I'd been concentrating on that. So I wanted to do something to launch my production company and uh, that was fun for me. So. Um, initially, you know, my character had been one that I'd been working in uh, for a TV show um, and I thought, well, I could take that character and make it into a short or a feature. So it was always written with myself in mind um, and like I said at the time, I didn't really think about producing or writing the script. I was just thinking of it as, as something to, to play the role, but along the way when, you know, as the script grew and grew and got better, um, and I was looking for other people to produce it, it did come up, well, you know, if, if we put money into it, maybe we want, it, we want to get a, a more well-known lead. And that was a really difficult decision for me to make. Like, at this stage, I was, I was very proud of the script. Do I want to make it into a bigger, better film with, you know, well-known leads and, and give up my role, or do I keep it, you know? So I was actually at, um, at the airport in New York and I got this message that, yeah, they want to do it, but they'd probably want to put someone, you know, more well-known in the lead. So I literally sat on the plane the whole way back like this, thinking Aww. for six hours, what do I do? And I said, okay, if, if, the, if the offer is right and the terms are right, if it's going to make it, you know, and they're going to have the money and make it this bigger budget film and I don't have my role, it's become it's so important to me to get this film made well now, I would do that. But it came back that the deal terms weren't right and it wasn't a good good deal. So it went back to being lower budget film with me. And it's like, and again, I'm glad it worked out like that, you know, that I didn't, because then it wouldn't have been my production company and it wouldn't have, you know, launched me into what I'm hopefully going to go into in the future. So again, another, yeah, another thing that yeah. could be depressing to some people and it actually turned out yeah. favorable. So that's yeah. great. Did people try to talk you out of, well, then if you're going to write a role for yourself, you might as well not produce or you should back off the screenwriting part? I mean, did people try to say that it's hard to be sort of a, a, a multi, you know, hyphenate yeah. with your um, project? There were several people that said to me, even, you know, even making it myself, don't put yourself in the lead, play a smaller role, get a better name. But because this wasn't a big, you know, multi-million dollar budget studio movie, the only kind of actor I would have potentially, you know, it wouldn't have been like an A-list star. So why would I do that? Why would I put, you know, maybe a, a slightly better known actress than me in, in my lead, but still have a, you know, a lower budget film? I mean, it was just, so many people said that and I doubted myself, oh, maybe I should, should I do this? Should, you know, it's a really hard decision when you've got a lot of people saying that. No one really said it about the producing and the writing because I think when you're actually on set, um, you know, I think directing is hard to do and to, to play a lead and, and several people did say to me, why don't you direct it yourself? Because at one point I was struggling to find a director and, um, and that's something that I wouldn't have done. I said, there's no way I can you know, I wouldn't even try it. I mean, my character is in every single scene. We had a very short shoot. It 
just would have been so hard. So one of my friends, actually a friend in England who's nothing to do with the entertainment industry, she's like, well, why don't you direct it yourself and put another actress in the role? And again, at the time, I hadn't ever directed a feature, so that wasn't an option either. So, um, but yeah, no one really trying to deter, to deter me because of the writing and producing, just, you know, they were thinking about the marketing for the film. But what I did was I put a lot, you know, well-known actors and actresses in the other roles and really padded it out. I mean, there's a lot, you know, we have so many well-known actors and actresses in the film um, and that came together really well. So yeah, I'm glad I didn't sell out on my role. <laughs> Why did you choose George Clooney? Why did I choose George Clooney? I know there's a million reasons. Why? <laughs> yeah. but just what were your personal reasons? Well, yeah, people keep saying to me, is this a true life? Like, no, <laughs> it's not a true life thing. But um, I think basically because I just moved to L.A. and, um, you know, he was he was single at the time, as I say, eligible bachelor. And it was all about him all the time. What a nice guy he was, how funny he was. He was like he seemed to, you know, he couldn't put a foot wrong at the time. He did this humanitarian work. You know, he was caring. He was a charmer. And, um, and because he was single at the time, that was really the thing that that, you know, that kind of led me to think, oh, it has to be George Clooney. I mean, I also, because I had become so aware of his humanitarian work, I'd had this idea for a TV show, and then I, um, he's actually involved in a charity called Not On Our Watch, The Enough Project, and um, there was a book, and it was talking about ways to raise awareness to the charity work he did. And one of the ideas was actually to host a screening for friends. And that is what really thought, well, I could make a film instead of making a TV show. I could make a short, a feature, and kind of somehow link the charity into it. And um, so it kind of all came together that way. It was, you know, the charity work he did, wanting to do something that would maybe help his charity. Um, but there was no real better guy than him as far as, you know, eligible bachelor, funny, charming, nice, talented, you know, all the rest of it. Right. <laughs> Quadruple threat. Yes, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, did you always feel that you needed to have him in the film? I know you, I think you reached out to him. Yeah. But, but did you feel that that was really important to the story or you felt that maybe the character's journey could be much different and more beneficial without it? Yeah, no, I never, um, I mean, it would have been great to have George Clooney in it because obviously he's George Clooney and it would have made a huge difference. But it was never something I felt the story actually needed. Like I did have a scene written at the end, which was him poking fun at himself. And, uh, it would have made a great ending, but the story stands alone with or without him. I mean, it really does. It, it It's almost better, you know. I, I think for the storyline, it's almost better from a marketing perspective. It would have been great to have George Clooney attached, you know. But no, it didn't really need him in it. It wasn't like I wanted to, you know, people suggested, oh, you could get George Clooney here and she could bump into him in this scene and this scene and this scene. I mean, that takes all the fun out of the movie if he's in there from, you know, from the first scene. So, yeah, no, it wasn't really necessary to have him in it. Because it's more about a character's yeah. relationship with themselves. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's never, it's more for what he stands for. He could be anyone and he doesn't, you know, he could just be a figment of someone's imagination. It's so not about him, although, you know, he's mentioned a lot in the film. That really isn't the story. I think, too, it is a great look at when someone looks for something outside of themselves. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you're a teenager, you do it with 
you know, celebrities or rock bands too. You know, I remember putting posters all over my wall and, and it's about taking yourself out of your own environment and thinking that's going to make me happy. Yeah. And uh, I don't, you know, if, as long as I have that, I'll be good. So I, I think that's a great, you talked about that in other interviews and yeah, and something we all still do with things, but. Yeah, I think for Poppy, it was, um, you know, she just found out her husband was cheating at her. There's this handsome guy on the television, which actually, you know, George Clooney is there. And so, oh, yeah, you know, it just takes you out of your own reality for, for a minute. And um, and then obviously she gets a, a call from Justin, who is her best friend, to go out to L.A. And, oh, yeah, let's not deal with that. And let's go off on this little, little fantasy. Um, but, yeah, it was never really about that. It was more about... Um, you know, her journey and her finding herself and her realizing that she doesn't need any man actually to, to make her feel good about herself. As you were writing your character, especially, did you ask Poppy questions? Mm, I don't feel like I asked her questions, but I had a really strong, again, a strong idea of what she thought and what she would do. And there were things, you know, there were elements uh, you know, that came from me that are within Poppy, that, you know, just little things of how I respond in my life. So, um, yeah, it, it just felt really easy. And even through the scripts, like through writing the script, things, parallel things would happen. Like um, there was a scene that actually we couldn't do for logistical reasons where Poppy's going to the party and um, there's a huge, you know, there's a, there's a huge traffic jam or something and there's a road closure on some road into the hills and um, you know mad scramble and everything's going wrong and that actually happened to me while I was writing the scripts I was going to meet an investor and they closed sunset because they were filming Entourage or something oh. so I'm like oh no they've closed sunset like I'm literally trying to get ready you know you've got water all down your top trying to dry it off and that's basically a scene out the film so I feel so much of it you know writing it just because like I was living it as I was writing it a little so I didn't feel I needed to ask her questions I just knew it so well knew her so well how long was the shoot the shoot was um, we filmed in 15 days it was a very short shoot um, but then there was a little we'd done outside of it so we'd um, there were some scenes that were done in England the Skype scenes and uh, there were some scenes that were done in a green screen studio again done on a different day and then we had a couple of pickup days where we went and shot a lot of exteriors and things and um, and then we filmed a couple of extra scenes that I talked about earlier so really you know it was a solid 15 day shoot there was another three days tagged on the end and then there was probably another day so you know with the odd bits 19 days yeah between 15 and 19 <laughs> I don't know how you look at it at what point did you know that a scene should be rewritten and how did all that work um, it wasn't really, well, during shooting there was the scene where I mentioned where Poppy was trying to get to a party in the hills and there was a road closure and logistically we couldn't really film a, a road closure in the hills. You needed, you know, police guards and everything and to try and do that and create a traffic jam, it was just, you know, a no-no. So it was literally once we began filming, um, someone was saying, oh, P Poppy's car can just break down. I'm like, no, her car can't break. It's just such a clean, you know, <laughs> really? Like, can't we think of something a little more creative than that? So that was something that I was playing with the whole time during filming, like, how are we going to get around this? And I was adamant that we had to have this, this road closure and how we could film it. And we're coming up with, you know, clever ways of making this look like a, a huge traffic jam. Um, and then suddenly I had an idea and it's a scene in the film, the Uber scene and Donnie, the Uber driver, 
that was something that was written basically probably just two days before we, we shot. So that was just from, you know, having production meetings and realizing what would and wouldn't work and what would make our first AD very unhappy to try and push to shoot. Um, but it was only after seeing the first edit and, um, you know, there was there were some scenes that I felt were a little long that I wanted to cut down that were kind of slowing the pace down a bit. And, um, you know, again, logistically, they were meant to have been shot in different locations, which might have made it work, but we had to film them all in the same location. I just felt the pace was a bit, bit slow. So I broke them up a bit and then went and added some more stuff. So that came after seeing really the first cut. And then what were some of the, the scenes that you rewrote for budgetary reasons? And, and can you just give us maybe just a couple, besides the road closure scene and yeah. deciding on that? Um, let's see if there's any, anything else for, for budget. I don't really think there was anything else because when I wrote the script from the start, I was very conscious of, you know, we wanted to do this. You know, it, I would have loved to have made it a lot bigger and had a lot more locations, but for shooting in 15 days, you know, we had farmer's market, we had the beach, we had the hills, we had a bar, we had a hotel, various different houses. So we, we actually did quite well on, you know, how we'd written it because, um, yeah, I really think it was just the one, just the one with the road closure that we actually had to rewrite. And that, that wasn't really for budget reasons, it was just for logistic reasons. What did For the Love of George teach you about screenwriting? I mean, it really taught me the whole process, to be honest, because this was my first feature. Um, it really taught me, um, you know, it's very different when you when you write a book or a story. Um, I'm really aware of how pacing is so important and dialogue is so important and how um, my uh, co-writer has a tendency to make things really wordy. And I'm somebody who does not particularly like wordy films. You know, like Woody Allen is a great, all his films are extremely wordy. And uh, so, yeah, you know, visual is very important. Um, you know, locations are very important. You have to think when you're writing, you're not just writing, you know, you need to be able to, it needs to translate into film, right? So, um, it just basically taught me the whole process, you know, how to make a movie. It all begins with a good script and it's so important when you start writing it that it can't just read well, it has to translate onto screen. What did it teach you in the sense of completing something or the idea of something and then the actual time and energy it takes to do it, you know, sort of taking the mystique away from, oh, I'm making a movie and, and, yeah. and how exciting it sounds, but also how stressful I'm sure it can be. Yeah, I mean, um, people, you know, even now people say to me, oh, that's great, you made a movie. And, you know, when you're in the middle of it, <laughs> it's like, I mean, obviously none of us would be in this industry doing this if we didn't enjoy it and it wasn't something we wanted to do. But, you know, for me, there were so many struggles and so many problems in the producing side of it. And, you know, so many curveballs like the, the engagement <laughs> that happened and, you know, even just, you know, financing and trying to get a director and having producers sign up and then drop out and there was just so much and it, it just, you know, it really kind of taught me that, I mean, there were days when basically I wanted to give up and thought this just isn't worth it, but you just get up the next day and you keep going and it, it really kind of made me realise that if you're passionate about something, you know, there is an ending to it and it's something you can be really proud of and, and you know to now look back and think you know I did this feature and it started as just this little idea and you know I'm proud that it was my first 
feature that I'd written, the first screenplay, the first film I'd produced, the first film I'd really played, a feature that I'd played a lead in like this. So, um, but you don't really, for me, I didn't really, I'm just kind of realizing it now. Now it's out and people are watching it, you know, because uh, I think until then, you're just so caught up in all the having to get it finished, having to get it made, you know, there's always, and someone was saying to me, you know, at every level, like you can make a 50 million, $100 million film, there's always problems, <laughs> you know, from a producing side, there's always things that come up and you just have to learn to deal with them. And I think for me now, I've learned so much on this film. Like hopefully the next one <laughs> is going to be a little bit easier because I think I've faced almost every problem <laughs> that you can face when making a film. But you know, you can get through it. And as long as I think you have the passion and the determination and you don't give up, you know, it's worth it. It is worth it. I now have a film, you know. Which has distribution. Yes, yeah. which has distribution mm -hmm. and people are watching and, you know, and you've seen the reviews come out and it's like, oh, something I made that people are actually enjoying it, you know, because you get so caught up in trying to make it good and the sound and the edit and the distribution and everything that goes with it. You kind of forget what drove you to, to make it in the first place and the whole vision and seeing at the end and seeing that people are actually enjoying it. It's a really good feeling. Have you always been a, a finisher or you know how some people start many things and then they yeah. leave them half sort of undone for various reasons or are you always make do you always make sure you finish everything you start? Um, I mean, I'm not someone that starts loads of different things. You know, I have to be really passionate about something to actually get so involved in it. But if I am, then I will always finish it. You know, like there, there might be things and like I, I, I always want to get going with things. So if I have to sit and read a contract, like for example, I hate board games where you have to read the rules. Let's just make them up as we go along. <laughs> I don't want to sit there and read like a whole rule book. Let's just make them up and, you know, that's the kind of thing I'll just kind of blag it and, and everything. But if it's something I'm really passionate about, I think I always, I'll always see something through to the end. I hate, you know, I hate not having a an ending and having something half done. I want to do it wholeheartedly if I, if I, something I actually want to do. So what were the top three things, would you say, from the production standpoint that were the toughest? You said that was where most of the problems yeah. or challenges um, resided. I mean, you know, financing is always hard. This this started with a, a crowdfunding campaign and grew. And, uh, you know, so we had some initial funding come in, but we, we were given deadlines and we kept getting this deadline extended and I needed to get more money in. Um, or we were going to lose the funding we had. So that was a huge stress. It was like a year and or over a year of trying to raise more money to actually, you know, be able to shoot the film. And um, for me as a producer, it was something, you know, this was new territory to me. I'd, I'd produced, but I hadn't gone out and raised money for a feature before. So, you know, and in LA, everyone's got a film that they think is great that they're trying to get made. So that was really hard, particularly because we had these deadlines. And at some point you have to, and you know, I went to a lot of producer seminars and people like, you know, whatever budget you've got, however small, however big, you're always gonna want more, just, just shoot, just shoot, scale it down, do something, but don't let someone go, especially in this position where we had some money, you know, I, I wasn't sure if we could make the film for that, but it got to the point where, I just had to go for it and, and you know, that was at the point I decided to produce it myself. Um, but the deadlines were hard, like we had a deadline, we didn't have a director, I really wanted a female director which was also proving hard. I think we got a female director in the November, we were starting shooting in the January, February. I know we, we, we got her I think maybe September, um, but it was November she had to pull out. 
So it was, you know, it was November. We were shooting in two months and we had no director. So I met with a lot of directors trying to, you know, trying to get someone who could shoot within that time frame, and that was really hard. I'm like, oh, what do we do now? Like, I really wanted a female director to kind of keep with the whole theme of, you know, we had female writers, female producers. It was a female-driven driven script. Um, I felt that it really needed a, a female director. Not that I have anything against male directors at all, but for this particular project, I thought, uh, you know, it's uh, it's like a whole film, female filmmaker. You know, it's, it just felt right, but it was a struggle because there aren't a whole lot of them out there, and um, the ones that were were busy or couldn't couldn't work within the deadline. So that was a big stress. And then, you know, th there's all kinds of stuff that came up um, in post. We had a big problem with sound, not because of anything bad to do with the, the sounds on the film, but with the post sound, like we had someone who start, who, who couldn't finish, went to another sound studio. So that took about eight months longer than it should have done. So it was just, you know, it was just, th there were things that came up the whole time from a producing standpoint, like, I don't know. I mean, the, the thing that wasn't so hard was distribution, really? you know, because we got to the point I, I approached a lot of distributors and um, Vision Films, our distributor, I'd heard a lot of good things about and went to them and it, it worked out pretty well. But of course, it was a stress to me because at that point I made a film. I didn't know how easy it was going to be to get distribution. So, um, yeah, there, there were a lot of a lot of things that, you know, roadblocks that we hit across the, along the way. And you mentioned briefly uh, about people dropping out, and I think that's an interesting thing about LA. I think people have great intentions, mm. you know, and they don't mean to flake. Some of them, yeah. maybe they don't care, but I think a lot of people want to keep their word, but for whatever reason, they don't. And so, how was that? Did you have to recast or or add new people in at the last minute? Yeah, um, I mean, it, it began with a producer who I was going to work with, who you know had got funding and. You know, it turned out he hadn't got funding. Oh, and, but you know, these people, you know, this was for me starting very early on and it was someone actually I knew. And so that was something, that was the first one that I hit, like, you know, just be honest, like, you know, just, if you haven't got the money, great, we can work on it together. But, you know, so there was that kind of thing. And then there was a director that I was gonna work with, but it was, you know, everyone's kind of hedges their bets. It's like, unless it's your own project, they're like, yeah, yeah, I wanna do your project. Yeah, it's good. have you got the money yet? No, okay, well, when you get the money, and then it's like, you know, well, I'm not really gonna work with you. I, I want a job, I'll, I'll be employed and help you, but you have to do all the work. And then if I think if it's gonna be successful, then I might jump on. So it was really hard to find people that were really passionate and committed. Um, that would be great to work with and stay the course that, you know, because there is always going to be bigger, better projects. So you want someone to, to be, and actually that was something that happened to us during filming. We had a couple of crew members drop out to go and work on big budget movies. So our line producer was constantly, you know, trying to find new lighting, trying to find, <laughs> that was something we lost. Actually, we lost one of our gaffers during filming and we were desperately trying to find another one um, because people don't want to commit. Um, sure. But you know, we we had a lot of people that were really great, that were really committed, that we couldn't have made this film without. Um, but it was, you know, there was a few people along the way that I thought were going to be great to work with. But you know, other things come along, and basically, like I say, if it's not their project, the commitment's just not always there. Right. Sometimes it's surprising the ones that seem so committed or you know overzealous in the beginning, or maybe that's the wrong word, but. And they're the ones that actually drop out and ones that don't you, you, you you're not even sure of and then they actually stay the course. That's yeah. very surprising. Yeah, and it's really nice, you know. I've met people on this film like crew and, and post 
you know, post-production people that I will definitely go on and work with on my next film. You know, there's some really good people out there. It's sure. just, um, you know, it's it's just who you gel with and, you know, who, who gets it and who's, you know, commitment is a big thing. Right, yeah. Well, there's so many things in L.A. too that are going on and people also have other jobs or whatever. Yeah. So I know that's, yeah. that's one of the, the issues that... I yeah, we, we did actually have... Um, one of the one of the lead one of the other lead actresses, and um, we had someone commit for four months, and then they pulled out, so we had to recast. So there was a little bit of that going on, but not too much with the with the actresses because we cast really close to filming. So um, you know, everyone kind of knew by then what their schedules were. There was one role, uh, Ruth Connell, who plays the role of Stacy. She was initially meant to play the role of Sharon, the editor, but she was filming on Supernatural, so she had a friend, Marina Sirtis, who now plays Sharon, the editor, um, who's from Star Trek Next Generation, so she got her to fill in for her role. Actually, so that was another thing that I created later for Ruth. The role of Stacy was not written into the original script, but Ruth is a great friend of mine, a great actress, and I really wanted her involved. So um, those scenes actually came later, the role of Stacy that we went and shot after the initial 15-day shoot because Ruth was committed to Supernatural at the time. You'd mentioned about going back in with the script and maybe revising or changing dialogue. You talk about, you know, I know you said you like films that have, they're less wordy, mm -hmm. and I, I get that. I, I like to see more than hear. Yeah. Um, how did you start to change the dialogue? Was it just more sort of monosyllabic, you know, like back and forth rather than an actual like, well, I don't think that that would work, something like that? Mm. Um, no, it was more that I had a very clear idea of the characters and how they should sound. And when someone else is, especially with, with Poppy, with my character, to have someone else write her dialogue, I just knew how it should sound and what I wanted her to say and how she would say things. So some of it was, and that was with a lot of the characters, you hear them in your head, you write them, some things you just know that that wouldn't come out of that character's mouth. So I would go in and tweak it. And the same with a Stephen character. The Stephen character, you know, he's a British, British male and, and I just knew how he should sound. So it was hard for me to let someone else write his dialogue when I had such a strong idea of how it should, how it should be. Um, and, uh, and also, yeah, I, I'm, a lot of the dialogue was much longer, so I wanted to edit it down and make it a little less wordy. And so I would go in and, and cut bits out and then rewrite the characters in the voices that, you know, how how I wanted them to be. My writing partner, Hayley, her, uh, her idea was really how the therapist should sound. So that was kind of more her voice. And then, you know, my voice, you know, the dialogue in my head was more for Poppy and for Stephen and some of the other characters. So anytime she'd worked on something, that you know, I had in my head, I would just go in and rewrite it. When you did show the film to um, sort of this control group or, yeah. or this this thing that your editor arranged, or even when reading the script, did people try to change Poppy? Um, did people try to change Poppy? I mean, in the early um, in the early drafts of the script, you know, we were. I mean, I didn't even like Poppy. <laughs> the first draft of the script because she was a victim and I really didn't like the fact that she was a victim which is why I think I wanted to get involved and, and you know start writing because you know she was binge eating and drinking and just generally feeling sorry for herself and I basically wanted to slap her so I wanted to go in and, and you know change change her character and in the early drafts before I think we'd gone through this whole journey with Poppy into making her who she was at the end 
um, you know, that was a slow process. So other people were picking up slightly on, you know, that part of Poppy, but that was fine because that was stuff I wanted to change. And if she was still coming across like that, then we needed to do more. So people did try to change a bit in a good way. So you didn't want it to be where stuff was just happening to her yeah. and she was reacting. You wanted to see her change her own course. Yeah, it, it was very much that everything happened to her and she was always complaining and it was poor me and I really didn't want to... I mean, initially, when I very first read it like that, I said, oh, this will be a fun character to play. But then I realised, well, that's not going to make the film. It might be fun from an acting perspective, but she's not likeable. She's a victim, and I really didn't want that. So that was a, a slow process to change her into how she became at the end of the script. When you begin writing something, or we'll take this film, do you ever see the implications or how you think the viewer may take it in their own lives? I mean, are you, are you thinking how an audience member may think about the film in terms of how it may relate to their own situation? Yeah, I mean, this is something, um, when we first did the crowdfunding campaign, um, you know, we, at the time, this was another thing actually in the, in the very early script where um, the husband hadn't cheated, she was just bored with her life and wanted to change and takes off because he was, you know, kind of a bit boring and they were stuck in their ways and uh, at the time when we did the crowdfunding campaign which was mainly in England we got a lot of support from from females I think like you know been married a long time like housewives that could relate to that like nothing's really wrong but you know we're just bored and we want to do something new and that sounds amazing to take off and and create a different life so we were getting um, support from a lot of women who felt like that but ultimately when it comes came to creating the film Again, that was a thing that I felt is, was going to make Poppy unlikable. Like she takes off, the husband's done nothing wrong. She's just bored. She goes off and has affairs and it wasn't really going to work. We needed something, you know, we needed the husband to have, have done something to, you know, but, um, but yeah, I think particularly with women and with Poppy, they can really relate to, to, to her journey and how, yeah, I'd like to do that and leave my husband and go off to Hollywood, <laughs> you know, find my, my idol or something. And you had a different title before with the Yeah, crowdfund? it was called Looking for George Clooney because at the time he was single. So, um, and then it became Looking for George and then after the engagement, <laughs> you know, we can't have someone looking for someone who's married. So, um, and like I say, it wasn't really about that anyway. Um, we changed the title and I actually like For the Love of George better anyway, so. Yeah, I could too. Yeah. How do you write a great scene? How do you write a great, a great scene? Um, I mean, for example, the psychic scene, um, the scene with Kristen Johnston, that was just something, I mean, I, to me, that's one of the funniest in the, in the film because Kristen is so funny. And um, I don't know, it just kind of came to me. <laughs> it just came to me, we need to do this and it'll be fun if we have a visit, a visit to psychic. And I think, you know, just when you've got such a strong vision, you can hear the lines, you can see it played out. Um, I don't know, it's just, it's just a feeling. It's just a feeling. It's sometimes I think the best scenes, they happen like that because it just comes like other things you can work and work on and overthink. But yeah, I mean, that one, it was just, you know, just came very, very quickly. You said that you did purchase a few or one or two screenwriting books, but you actually didn't read them? No. Okay. <laughs> I probably should have done, but I, I really felt, you know, for me, and like I said, I am, I'm impatient. I want to I just get in and do it. And, and 
you know, Haley, my my co-writer, had, you know, she trained with some of the best screenwriters in England. So we we had the basics. Um, for me, it was more about story and dialogue, and the rest of it I just picked up as I went on, you know, how you have to have these peaks and things, and you know how visually you know it was so important so we really just spoke about the story a lot and she would go off and write something and it would come back and i'm like yeah this isn't this isn't working and you know change it from my point of view but um yeah i didn't feel that i needed them i mean i will probably read them in the future but it, i would rather be reading and writing and creating the script than reading something that's gonna slow me down from doing that <laughs> Was there ever a book on the creative process, even if it wasn't exactly about screenwriting or even a film that, that always stuck with you and you remember sort of the structure or whatever it was that they advised? Um, I mean, I, you know, I would get advice from things online. I mean, I bought lots of books on, you know, producing and legal stuff and went to a lot of, like I say, a lot of um, filmmaking seminars and, you know, heard a lot of different people talk, producers, screenwriters, lawyers and I would pick something up from from every seminar, and you know, um, would kind of take that on board. But there wasn't really anything in particular. I, I think I just had a very strong vision, and you know, um, really knew what I wanted. And because I was so open to uh, other screenwriters' input, like I say, I, I have a, a very few good friends that have written films, have had films produced. So on the in the very early stages, I would take on board what they were saying and structurally and things like that. So from the day that you first had an idea, an inkling about making the film mm. to actually, what you said, the premiere yes, was last, last Monday. Last yeah. Monday, okay, yeah. at the Grauman's Chinese? Uh, uh, yeah, Chinese Six. Chinese, Chinese Six, okay. six yeah. Nice. Um, what, what time frame is that? Yeah, so I would say that I had the idea, you know, I actually look back because, like I said, it started as an idea for a TV show and my character was just one of the three in a TV show who had moved to LA, was a publicist, thought she could be the next Mrs. Clooney. So I look back at when those meetings first started to discuss the idea and it was 2010. Oh, so okay. a long time <laughs> from the very first seed of the idea, eight years. So taking the idea for the film of someone who's leaving a situation that they don't feel comfortable in and wanting to go to Los Angeles. Yeah. Let's say there's somebody really out there that's in another area and they want to come here, but maybe it's not to find a certain person. Yeah. But what advice would you give to them? Because um, it, it can seem very exciting. It can be, you know, and, and there are parts that are yeah. very wonderful and exciting here. Lots to do, beautiful weather, yeah. a lot of people watching. Just just if someone would said, you know what, it's funny, you've written my life yeah. and I'm actually coming to L.A. next yeah. week. What would you tell them? Um I mean, I've said that to a few people who, who move into L.A. It's really easy to move to L.A. and get, like you're saying, like lost in the weather and the social life and the friends, but um, you, don't, you don't achieve anything like that. You don't end up, you know, getting anything done if you kind of... Because if you do that for too long, then I think you lose your track. Um, so it's really important in L.A. to... Um, to have a good group of people around you that, uh, you know, friends are so important here because it, it is, to quote a line from the script, it's a very transient town. So, you know, find a really good group of people around you and um, and just don't get caught up in the whole LA life of, you know, I can go off and do anything. But, um, but you know, for me, I came to LA, I hadn't made a film before and, you know, you just work really hard and 
it can be done, you know. So I think like really if you have something you really want to do, and, and I've said this so many times, if you have a passion about it and you just stay focused, it might take a few years, but you know, you can do stuff here. It's a great place to be. How can you build a network? Um, well, for me, like when I came here, um, being British, you know, there was there's always Facebook groups or something that there's a Brits in LA group, there's BAFTA that I'm a member of, you know, the British Academy. Um, so it's just finding like like-minded people, you know, um, and it's friends of friends. It's like, you know, you get here, it's a very social place, LA, and uh, so you soon find the kind of people that you want to surround yourself with. It might take some time, but you do, you know, you want to find people that keep you grounded and, you know, that you enjoy their company and, and people where you don't get too caught up in their drama. <laughs> Because everyone has drama here, including sure. myself, but yeah. you want to have those people that support you, you know, and it's uh, you're not supporting their drama too much all of the time. <laughs> right. Sometimes it's fun to listen to the drama. But yeah, yeah. No, sometimes in, I actually enjoy it because it right. takes you out of your own drama. It's right. like, no, no, forget my problems. Let's talk about yours. <laughs> right, right. In moderation. Yeah. <laughs> so for the love of George, did you always plan to have the crowdfunding campaign be the sole production funds or did you um, have other ideas? No, I mean, the crowdfunding campaign was something like, say at the, the start, I didn't know if I was going to make a short or a feature. So we did the crowdfunding campaign, kind of just threw it out there really to see what happened. But um, it was seven weeks of <laughs> extremely hard work. Um, and at the end of it, I, you know, we, we got a certain amount of money and it was a lot of money with which to make a short, but nowhere near enough with which to make a feature. And, but at that point, I didn't want to make a short and, and waste it on a short. So many people I know were saying to me, you can't make a feature. You can't do a first, you know, first feature. You have to make a short first. Why do I, you know, what rule book says anywhere, you have to make a short first. And so many people that I knew had made a short and, regretted it and wished they'd, you know, they're now using that as a funding pitch for a feature. And um, so at that point I thought, I really want to make a feature, you know, let's just, let's go after that. And the script was being worked on and got better and better. And it, the, the more it improved, the more I wanted to make a better and better feature and, and wanted to wait. So um, yeah, it was something that I then had to look outside of crowdfunding and, and start having meetings and approaching people. And, and like I say, everyone in LA is trying to do that. But um, it's fairly easy to get indoors in LA because everyone's worried about missing the next best thing. You know, it's a lot harder to actually get anyone to commit or to get funding or, or that side of it. But um, I really tried everything. Like, you know, I would go to investors and film finances in LA and, um, you know, had a few interesting meetings where they would want to change the script and they wanted to change the husband and the husband should be, this was one, one male financier that I went to see, had very strong ideas about, you know, how Poppy should behave towards the husband, which I didn't listen to at all and he didn't finance the film. But, um, it, you know, eventually it was just, you try everything, you know. I was trying, I was getting all these creative ideas about how I was going to do funding and I was going to go to, um, country clubs and do fundraising evenings and talk to people how they could get involved in film, which I actually tried. I tried, you know, doing that. None of it worked, <laughs> you know, but I was really trying to get creative and go outside the box in terms of, you know, trying to get money within LA because at that point I decided I didn't want to give the rights up. I didn't want to have someone else, you know, make it through their production company. And for someone to give me money to make it through my production company, it was a uh, 
you know, a bit further down the line, I realized again, well, if I want this, I'm going to have to try and get the money myself. So that's what I did. And so was this from a series of investors aside from the, the, the crowdfunding? The crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think um, we had about four or five investors and, um, you know, it was really about relationship building and, and finding people who could relate to either the subject or um, friends of other investors and, th- and things like that. And uh, yeah, it was... It was a very long process and, you know, very time consuming. And I can't tell you the amount of emails I sent out, like, you know, thousands, trying to find ways to, to raise the money. But, um, you know, I was very fortunate in the end, it all, all came together. And I had a couple of actually females in particular that believed in the project and believed in me. And, um, yeah, I'm very grateful for that. I almost envision some of Poppy's character sort of what you were going through and that everybody's in her ear telling her kind of like what to do and how it should be. And I find that interesting. How did you sort of decipher, okay, I'm going to listen to this. This person's probably very knowledgeable and I'm sure they have great intentions, but I don't think this is for me and I want to do it my way. How did you know who to listen to? I think I... I just have a very, you know, strong belief that if you want to do something that badly and if, you know, if it's not something that's completely delusional, then you can achieve it. And, uh, you know, I had people, oh, you know, you can't do a film about George Clooney unless you're, you know, you have a budget of 10 million. And like, what? (laughs) Sometimes I just think, where do these people get this stuff from? Like, who told them that? Because it's just blatantly not true. So, um I don't know. I just, I'm just a a believer that, like I say, if, if you really put everything into it unless you have some really random stupid idea then why can't you do it you know who, who's to tell me I can't and if I'm not getting anywhere then maybe I'll rethink it but let me try it let me try doing it my way how does a producer get a meeting with a financier it's not too you know it's not too hard to get people interested I think for me because I had an angle you know every George Clooney, like everybody loves him. Like I would talk to males and females and they're like, oh, that's such a great idea. Like men love George Clooney as well. Men want to be with him and women wanted to be with him at the time. Um, So it's kind of, it was a quirky subject and we already had some money through the crowdfunding campaign and we had a charitable angle where, you know, a portion of any profit is going to the Enough Project, the, the charity that George Clooney supports. So it was kind of, you know, there was a, a, plus there was the female filmmaker side. So I was initially targeting a lot of women um, because I had found that women were relating to the story. Um, so it's basically just emailing. I mean, I would cold, you know, cold call, but cold email people and, you know, send them a pitch and ask for a meeting. And sometimes people would say yes, and sometimes they would say no. Um, but everyone was kind of interested and, you know, there's LinkedIn, there's IMDb. I was looking at, you know, other films that might be of similar genre or looking at producers in that. And just, you know, you basically just have to leave no stone, un- stone unturned and, um, and just put it out there and ask and just say, you know, I'd love to spend 10 minutes talking with you. And quite often people will say yes. What would you bring with you to these meetings, if anything, or, or maybe nothing yet? No, I had... Um, I did have a script, but I didn't take it to the meetings. Quite often I would send it to people ahead of time. Um, but I had a pitch package. So it had, you know, cast and uh, at the time it was still, um, you know, cast that we wanted. It was no one that was really signed on. I didn't actually get any of the cast signed on until we had the money. You know, some people will get cast earlier and then raise the money from that. 
I did it the other way around, which, um, you know, isn't necessarily the easiest or the best way to go, but it was just the way I did it. Um, so I would just go with a, like a pitch package, you know, something of, of who was in the film, who I wanted in the film, um, something about the production company, the people involved, a synopsis. And, and that was it, basically. We hear about postpartum depression, um, empty nest syndrome. Is there almost a, not a depression, but a down feeling after the film's already completed? You know, because you spent so much time yeah. and energy and then there's the screening and, and there's all the excitement around that. Is there almost sort of like a, wow, now what do I do? Yeah, especially actually when we were filming, because, you know, up until filming, the, the pre-production stage was crazy. And then we were filming, you know, nonstop for 15 days. And then when that was over, it was like I spent years building up to this. And now I filmed it and Poppy's Pop is finished, you know. So after filming, yeah, I was definitely in depression for a week or two. Um, but with the screening, it's not so much, you know, now it's finished and the film's out. It's kind of a weird feeling. It's like, oh, it's, you know, it's not so much of a depression, but, oh, what, what do I have to do today? You know, it's, I mean, it's good. I'm glad it's out. But there is a bit like, you know, I've been working so hard on it for so long. It is, it is strange not having to do stuff to get the release anymore. Right. So, and I'm, I know you want to do other projects. I'm yeah. sure there's an incubation period before you can just like go, okay, this is what I'm going to do. What would you advise other people that are going through that where they've spent a decent amount of time formulating an idea, having this character be very real to them. And then that character is almost like they've graduated. Now they're far away in college and you're never going to hear from them again. So what would you tell someone to do with their time before they can jump in and formulate another idea? I mean, for me, I was, although it almost felt like I didn't have the brain power, like I, people keep saying to me, oh, what's your next project? You know, you want to be starting something else. But I felt I couldn't, didn't have the brain power to be creative because I was in business, you know, let's finish the film mode. Um, but I had ideas knocking around, but I was also very cautious that I didn't want to force something. I didn't want to, oh, I have to have an idea, therefore I'll go and, and do this. So... I think, you know, it's, um, I don't think there's any kind of special way or, or secret formula, but just just be aware that, you know, there are other projects and this is the start. So, you know, that was one. And, you know, just start having ideas knocking around and and just kind of start even before you finish, like maybe start talking to people about other ideas. I mean, that's what I started doing. I was meeting with a couple of the exec producers and we've started talking about some other stuff, but I just felt until this one's out the way, I wouldn't be ready to creatively start actually working on something else. But, you know, don't leave it right to the last minute because then there's suddenly nothing. I mean, for me, I've been very aware that, you know, I want to get going on something else, but I need to finish this first. Well, since you were in the music industry, you know, you always hear about these musicians taking, oh, I'm going to spend six months in India between yeah. uh, uh, albums and, and, and sort of re regroup and, and see another culture and and I think that it's interesting to to do that as well I mean was there anything that you've done or, or plan on doing yeah where you want to visit somewhere to kind of just have different ideas yeah I mean I was going to have a trip at the end of the film but the end of the film kept extending so <laughs> my trip I went uh earlier last year I went to uh, Singapore and Australia had the chance to go for two weeks I thought great the film will be done that's the perfect the film wasn't done so I spent the whole time get home and finish the film um, and now I actually have finished the film I think I'm raring to go on other stuff but I really you know I know other people that 
have finished their film and they've gone off for seven weeks and just had a complete break, complete, like, leave it alone. But I think because I've had several full stars at doing that, now I just want to get going, you know, I, I want to get going on other stuff. I think if I went off on some, you know, six weeks in Bali or something, I'd be so frustrated with not being able to work. Do you like to be busy? Um yeah, I do like to be busy. I think I have an overactive mind, so I'm always thinking, you know, it's, I mean, it's nice if you can completely turn off. I find that really hard. Um, so I do like to be busy. I mean, it's, like, it's nice to have breaks, but because I'm always thinking about stuff, then I want to be doing it. If I can't do it and I'm thinking that I want to do it, then I find it frustrating. When you're casting for the film, were you going through some of these casting websites or through people that you knew? Um, I used a casting director, Ollie Day, who was great for the 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 roles, you know, the star name roles. Um, so, she, but she didn't cast the whole film. A lot of it, some of them are actually my friends, like uh, Henry Hereford, who plays my husband, Ruth Connell, um, Tracy Ransom, who plays one of the reporters. Sandra Manetti is actually a real life uh, reporter. He's one of the reporters in the film, entertainment reporters. So that kind of group I had early on. Um, but Henry was very sweet because he's like, well, if you want to get like a better known actor, but no, I want you. He's like, well, you know, I'll just leave it out there uh, just in case. I'm like, no, no, you're perfect. Um, but no, I had a casting director. I knew Rex Lee from Entourage, so I kind of thought he would be great for Justin. Um, but he was approached through our casting director. And the same with Tate Donovan, Rosanna Arquette, Kristen Johnston, Marina Sirtis and Ruth both came because I knew Ruth. Um, ben Glebe, who's a pretty well-known comedian, he's actually a friend of mine, and he brought in um, Paul Provenza, who plays Donnie, the Uber driver. So a lot of it was just people I knew and contacts and then bringing people on board, but the main, you know, the main names that everyone knows were, were through a casting director, who would basically approach their agent, we made them an offer, we knew of their work first, like no one auditioned for those roles, you know, we knew they'd be great. Um, they'd read the script and, and come back. And because because it's quite a unique script, people either really wanted to do it or it wasn't for them. So luckily, most of the ones we wanted wanted to do it. What were your ways to keep yourself either sane or not sane on set when, I don't know what your call time was, but you had 15 days, you're producing, you're a co-writer, and then you're starring in it. How are you keeping yourself on track without totally falling apart or were there some days where it was just going to happen anyway and yeah. just let it? <laughs> um, you know, I didn't have a moment to go insane. <laughs> like it was literally, we were filming, the, the first part of the shoot was in was in Venice and it was probably about uh, an hour's drive from where I was staying. Um, so we'd, a lot of our call time would be 6, 6 a.m. I would leave at like 10.30 at night, eat McDonald's on the way home, which I never do, but just because I had no time get home, look at the, you know, the stills and the, the script report, sometimes have to rewrite scripts, go to bed, get up. And I literally, I think I was just on autopilot. So there was a couple of times, like there was one scene where we were running behind schedule and we had 45 minutes to shoot the whole scene. And uh, it was one of those times, it was very early on in the shoot where um, I was saying to the DP, can, can you just give me a moment? No, sorry, there's no time, just stand there. And, and it was quite an emotional scene. Uh, it was during the fight with Justin and the, you know, George Clooney's getting married moment. Um, so I wasn't very happy. I came in the next day, I had a look at the, at the you know, they, they put something together for me. I went, yeah, it's okay, but you know, from now on, if we need to go into 
to overtime or, or do something to get it right, then, then we need to do it for something so important as that. Um, but on the whole, I was just literally on autopilot. I would literally be doing my, I had something like 47 wardrobe changes, which is quite ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, it was something, cause it went through such a, you know, a six month period of Poppy being in LA. And to shoot that in a short time, you just don't think, oh, okay, I'm gonna actually need to change all those times as well. So I would literally be in between takes in the bathroom changing, like there was just no time. There was no time for me to be in set. I just had to keep very on track, very focused. And if anything, it was a bit hard from the performance side of things to, um, to you know, take myself, because I was getting emails about the producing and, you know, some of the legal stuff that we were going through. And then I would have to, you know, in makeup, I would be answering emails, putting that down, going back, being poppy. And that was a bit of a challenge sometimes remembering, oh yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm Poppy now. I'm not, you know, Nadia thinking about the producing side. And that's kind of quite hard because I am, I was so involved in all of it to kind of detach a little bit when it actually came to filming. But I think because of that, I had no time to lose my sanity <laughs> till after. <laughs> yeah, that would be difficult with the emails. I know sometimes before an interview that we will do, I will specifically not look at emails yeah. or whatever, because you don't want something that's going to throw you off track. Yeah. And it's sometimes just hard to yeah. rein yourself back in so that would be especially with the legal issues yeah i mean i would have loved to have done that to just like right i'm not looking at emails today <laughs> but um but i couldn't you know so yeah it was just something i just had to deal with right so but you know we got through <laughs> was there one shot that was you're particularly proud of or you just like when you see it every time you go yes that's my movie yeah i think it's um Definitely, it's the closing shot. Um, it was written, you know, it was written with a particular song in mind. It's Happy Heart by Andy Williams. Um, and it's Poppy and, and we have the camera going up and away and further and further away. And you see Poppy there and there's this song playing. And um, I wasn't sure if I'd be able to get the rights to the song. And uh, it was so important that I did. And I tried various ways to get it. And uh, I wasn't able to clear the version by Andy Williams, but I have a couple of friends who are singers, Unsung Lily, who actually performed five, five tracks in the film. They covered it for me. And it, it actually, to have a female singer in it as well, it works so, so well to have that final shot with Poppy sitting there in this, this song. And because that was one shot that we didn't know if we'd be able to get because it involved a drone and all the rest of it and, you know, city limits and timing and budgeting. And the fact that we were able to get that shot and that's how it finishes the whole film. That's when I'm really like, oh, that's my film. <laughs> we made my film, you know, that's when, I think it's just something about the music and the, and the cinematic, you know, yeah, that's, that's my favorite shot. I always say, yeah, I love the end <laughs> to people. I love it when it ends, but that's the reason why. For your next project, when you look for people to hire, whether you work for the same pe with, with the same people uh, or not, are you looking for people with similar skill set as yours or people that have the opposite in some sense? You know, you talked about you like to do things quickly or you, you just want to get right in there. Is it better for you to have someone as a partner that would be more maybe slower? Mm. And, and, or, or do you want someone that's on the same page? in that sense, it's yeah. very similar. Yeah, no, I think I think someone who compliments, you know, not someone the same because, you know, if we both have <laughs> these strong ideas, it could end up as a clash. You know, you're not always gonna be on the same page and that's not necessarily gonna help the film. Like, all right, there's twice as much effort and energy going into it, but there's other areas that are so important, you know, like, 
um, as a producer, I obviously know all the legal implications and operating agreements and had to do all of that for this, but it's not something I necessarily enjoy. Like I said, I don't like reading stuff, so I'd rather have a more business-minded person to, to deal with that side of things, but who is also creative, because that's important if you're creating something right. So there has to be some element of, you know, we're on the same page, but I think, you know, to surround yourself with people with the things that you're not so good at or you don't enjoy so much, that's more important than having someone who's exactly the same. Did you form your own corporation or did you have a, a company or an attorney do it? No, no, we didn't have any, we didn't actually, I should be saying have any attorney. Okay, <laughs> then maybe we won't. No, 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 it. it's okay. fine, it's okay. fine. Um, yeah, no, I had a producer that I worked with, Jeff Allard, and um, he, he was an executive produ producer on the film and uh, he had a lot of experience with um, forming LLCs and operating agreements and that kind of thing. So re we really worked together. I would go to him for, for that kind of advice. Um, so he had so much experience in that. He has a lawyer he works with, but um, yeah, we didn't have a lot of, we, we didn't have a, a production lawyer on, on the set the whole time. We didn't actually need one, which was great. So you filed all the paperwork yourself yeah. and did all that? Wow, yeah. that's quite a bit of paperwork. Do you remember when that box showed up with all the paperwork? When or? The you know, it's still in my house, <laughs> oh, yeah. When, when you get the files back from the line producer and then I got another folder back from, um, from someone else who was keeping track of all the legal stuff, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, I probably need to put yeah. that somewhere at some point. Some nighttime reading, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 